0: long, 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 long time ago, when I was a little boy, a you know, long time ago, there was this wonderful invention that came out of you know, it was about the size of a hockey puck, you know, a hockey puck, hit, you know, the little thing that they get, you know, kind of and it was a little thing, and it was all wrapped in foil. One of the things, when you broke it open, man, on the inside there was some white cream stuff. You know, look at the Do <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, know? uh, you know what that thing was called? It was called a ding dong. <laughs> you, know, you got a ding dong? You know, it's wonderful ding <laughs> dong. And also, they had these things called hostess. What was the in the inside? You know. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had one? Yeah. No? You've had both of them before? Yeah. Why is your mother deciding to hostess <laughs> 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 <No>? Okay. <laughs> so, you're going to go to the mom two. You have had, what, haven't had one, have you? Hostess Twinkie? Mm-hmm. Have, no? No? Your are tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tough. They also have Hostess cupcakes. Have you had a Hostess cupcake? No. Big, no, you haven't had it? You break it open, guess what's in the middle? Mm-hmm. Cream. The stuff that's in the inside. This is good stuff. You haven't had any of this stuff? <laughs> you had all of them? Okay. Well, here's something too. I know probably y'all can't eat. Some of y'all can't eat peanut butter. But what is this? This is what? Is a Reese's Cup. What's in the Reese's Cup? Peanut butter. Can you have peanut butter? You can't have peanut butter. Can you have chocolate? Butter. But if you take this little burger right here, and you take it and you break it open. Ooh, what do you get? What is it? Peanut butter. Peanut butter. No. And guess what? you say dried peanut butter? Okay, good. <laughs> you got this dried peanut butter. And here, here's the point. We don't want to learn the sermon today if you don't listen to the sermon. You know, it's, it's what's on the inside that counts. You know, the chocolate's pretty good with that peanut butter. You, you want something <laughs> to add? It doesn't even look like that peanut butter, does it? Yeah, it doesn't work peanut butter. This is the sign of being very inquisitive. You know, yeah, it doesn't, it, it does look shiny, doesn't it? Does. So that's a good point in this. When we to learn is that you know, it's still back to draw where there's still some more younger than The point is when we're dealing with Jesus, Jesus comes when we have him. We receive Jesus basically. What happens is that He comes to the inside of us. And it's all about the inside. We can be all big and strong and everything else and look really good on the outside. But if we don't have Jesus on the inside of us, we can't do anything. So we're going to learn about some things today about what's on the inside. Is that good? Okay. And to remind you of that cannot have this right now, okay? You've got to take it back to your parents to make sure that they will allow you to have it. Because they've already deprived you of those disappointments. Okay, so you have to go ask them if you can have that. And I truly appreciate you guys coming pass those now. Thank you, brother. Okay. Thank you, brother. No? You know, Mom and I will let you have um, oh, you're, you're, you're full of candy, is that what you said? Oh, um, They're not eating more sugar. That's a good idea. Sugar can really make you hungry. So, since you're not having yours, I'll take it. Okay, so <laughs> I'll do that for you because I will sacrifice for you, I will suffer for you. So, therefore, kids, go back to your seat and just uh, remember it's what I'm inside. Of you. That's okay. And I if you want some of these, I think you can come get them after this. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're beginning. We began this chapter a couple of weeks ago. Hit an no overview. Talked about it last week. So this is what we want to look at today. We're going to start, I'm going to read so that we can pick up on this whole train of thought from Paul. I'm going to read from the first verse to the 13th verse. It says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. It is not as though the word of God is still for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are the children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing do good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, but not because of words, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We review, dear folks, here is the point. Paul soul minutes for his fellow Jews. They've been cut off. We have learned that. They've been accursed from Christ. So what is he addressing now? He is addressing that their tendency was to believe that because they were descendants of Abraham, they were good to go. That they're okay. And they are not. In fact, Jesus even addressed this thought process of the Jews. John chapter 8. When He was confronting them, the Pharisees said this, they answered Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children. You would be doing the works. Abraham did. But now you seek to kill Him. And He was told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works. Your father did And so what Jesus was trying to get them to understand was that just because Abraham was your physical descendant doesn't mean that you are of Abraham. In fact, he names their father, if you remember that. He says you are of your father, the devil. So we understand again, two different distinctions of people. Those who belong to the father, those who belong to Satan when they are Lost or saved. So that's the distinction here that we have to understand. What Paul is saying in the previous chapters, if you saying those things as truth from God, then God's promises have not failed. That's the key to all of chapter 9. The promises of God have not failed. And if you believe they have failed, you are making God a lion. That's what he's stating. You're making God a liar. But in verse 6, we come to verse 6. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. How many of you have been driving a your freeway? And you're going very, very fast on this freeway. And come to a slow because something has happened up on the shoulder of the road. Traffic slows down, everything backs up, and when you come upon what's happening, you find out it's just a, just a guy fixing a flat and everybody wants to rubberneck and everybody wants to slow down to see something that's really nothing to see. Did you know that technology has been created in cars now that you can look out your windshield and up on the front Looks like it's up on the front fender. You can see the speed limit posted. The little red lights or green lights or whatever. And then it posts right beside it how much you're going. You know how fast you're going? It's amazing. It's a really neat kind of thing. If you want to pay $90,000 for a truck, it's on there. You know it's there. You can do that. I wish they would come up with some words that would then, and beams would detect a parked car as distinguished from an accident and it would say nothing to see here keep driving fast i wish they would have that kind of thing but what paul is trying to tell us is literally there's nothing to see here there is nothing to see here concerning if God's Word has failed or not. That word failed, if you just kind of underline that in your Bible right into the the margin, it means fallen in the Greek. Fallen down, in fact. So when you're reading this again in verse 6, it would say, but it is not as though the Word of God has fallen down. It's not as if it's happened that way. God's Word has not. It is not some wreck on the side of the road. It's not a wall that has fallen down creating problems. This word has not failed. So what does he do? It's a method that we use even today when we're trying to prove a point. He cites from the rest of chapter 15 Old Testament verses beginning in verse 7. His peanut butter cup, I guess. So anyway, at, uh, uh, verse 7, going to 33, he's going to prove God's word has not failed. So we want to stress a point. Now think about this. We do this, believe it or not, today. We're going to stress a point. We get we got in this argument with family this week. You know? Is this Omicron thing really COVID? Or is it really just food? And so what we have on both sides were people on their phones pulling <clears> up <throat> arguments in support. Some of them pulled it up and said, well, look, this side just says this. Where another one would pull it up and go, well, this side just says that. And so what we had back and forth was who's right. We're trying to validate our argument. Paul is doing the same thing. For example, in verse 7, If you look at verse 7, it says, uh, And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's Genesis 21 and verse 12. In verse 9. He goes down again verse 9, he said, For this is what the promise said, and about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. He's quoting Genesis 18 and Genesis 18, 14. And then in verse 12, if you go to verse 12, he is citing Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. In verse 13, he actually is citing Malachi verses chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. If you keep going down, we will see over and over again. Verse 15, he's quoting Exodus 33, 19, and verse 17, Exodus 9 16. and 16, in verse 25, he's quoting Hosea 2, verse 23, and verse 26. It's Hosea 1, chapter 1, verse 10. And he goes all the way through the chapter, reinforcing that the word of God has not fallen. His promises have not failed. Dear Jewish friends, he's in essence saying, nothing to see here, nothing to see. The Word of God proves truth. The Word of God never fails to accomplish what it's intended to accomplish. For example, why does any preacher, including myself, stand and preach each and every opportunity they have to preach Knowing that you're not going to remember a doggone thing I say three weeks from now. Why do we do that? Dear friends, I'm getting to the point I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. But I know that you cannot tell me what I preached on three weeks ago. You can't. You just just can't. Unless you've taken some really good notes. Why do we even spend the time It's because the Word of God penetrates. It's the Word of God goes where it needs to go and speaks to the soul of the person. And we preachers may not ever, ever see what it's doing in your life because it's happening in your soul. We can't see that. It's not there. It's like taking those Reese's peanut butter cups and you look at it and you say, it's just a bunch of chocolate. No, there's something else there. Inside it, there's something else, and so when we preach the word of God, something else is going on. That's what the Bible says, and God's word is not going to come back to him void. It's going to accomplish. Now, I want you to take a little break from Romans and just flip over to Psalm 19. Would you do that? Find it in your device or go to Psalm 19. I want you to look at what he's meaning because the things that paul writes if you keep this in your mind paul was a scholar paul was not just some guy who said okay i just uh i just got my associate's degree in theology and i'm just going to hang out here a little bit and i'm going to tell you what i think i know paul knew paul knew his scriptures they were ingrained in him he was a hebrew of the hebrews he says In his writings, he knew his stuff, in other words, and a lot of his writings reflect back on the Old Testament because it's a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's wanting his Jews to know. So here is Psalm 19. Look at verse 7. This is the power of the Word of God. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect or blameless reviving the soul. What does the Word of God do? The Word of God revives. Only the Word of God can do that. We can't work it out. God's Word does that if we read the Word of God. And the Word of God penetrates our soul. It says, The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. God's Word then is reliable. It is not only revives; it is absolutely reliable. It is very sure. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's Word causes rejoicing in you, in your being. If you know, for example, that you have sinned against God, and you are a Christian, and you have your conscience just, it's just been pricked, and you just know, oh Lord, I have sinned, Will you ever forgive me? And you turn to First John, and it says, "If we're faithful and just—I mean, if we confess our sins—he's what faithful and just to forgive our sins. You should rejoice. Just reading and understanding the Word of God, it causes rejoicing. Listen to what it says in verse eight: In the fear of the the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. together. So therefore God's word is righteous. It's not going to lie to you. It's going to do that which is right. If you look back at verse 8, I skipped this. One. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That means God's word reveals things to us and things about himself so that we can know God better and that we can respond to Him. So what Paul's doing, he is going back and understanding the Word of God has not fallen. The Word of God is powerful. In fact, in Isaiah 55, notice what he says. You probably have this Memorize this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return... There, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sinned. Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is what? Living, active, active, Sharper than any what, two edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, joints and the marrow, discerning of the thoughts, the intention of the heart. And then again, Peter says the same thing: having purified your souls, chapter one, uh, this first book, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory are like the flower grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. One of my favorite movies is same Lot. I don't have to tell you about that, but they're sitting up in that up in that treehouse, right? And they keep saying those words over and over again. And they get close, to the young man and says, For a That's what the word of God does. It's going to stand forever. Paul knows that. He's trying to convince his fellow Jews. Look, my fellow Jews have been cut off, my fellow Jews have been accursed. I wish they all believed, but the promises that you have have not failed. Israel is still a chosen part of God's plan. And we get to chapter 11, and He tells us that there's going to be a remnant of those that are going to be saved. So the Word of God has not fallen. It's going to be there. This is so applicable to us. Let me tell you one. Because as long as you're speaking the word of God to your children, to your friends, or whatever, it's going to accomplish what God planned for it to accomplish. It will happen according to God's time. That's why we emphasize to you, parents, continually use the word of God with your children. You do not know whether they're not going to be saved at a young age, middle age, old age, you don't know. But the Word of God will go into that heart of that child and it will do the work it's intended to, to do. They're going to receive it or they're going to reject it. But it's going to do what it's going to do. So continually use the Word of God. In fact, plaster it around your house. Wherever you have it, just plaster it there. Just get big things, went, you know, posters, whatever it is, plaster it there so when they walk by they see kind of things. If you've been to my house, you'll see that we've got these two nooks. Uh, We've got big chalkboards in those little nooks. And on there, they're written. They've got the Ten Commandments over here. They've got another verse over here. You go into our little, what we call our playroom now for my grandchildren, But it's now our music room where I have my piano and have, you know, a game table. We have this. We have made posters, basically. We took old windows, glass pane windows. And we had people that put scripture verse on them. So we got them, you know, plastic. There. Everywhere. On the refrigerator. It's there. We're trying to say when our grandkids come in and people come in, they walk by and they see and they can read the Word of God. Why? Because it never comes back empty. That's what Paul's trying to say. It hasn't failed. It hasn't fallen. Use the Word of God. Talk it. Memorize it. Talk about it. Now he goes on and he's looking at him and said, look, we need to understand it's what's on the inside that counts. It's what's on the inside that counts. Verse 6. If you go back to verse 6, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all children of Abraham because they are His offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as His offspring. You can understand this just real easily. Physical Israel, the they that they're talking about right there, physical Israel, just because they're descendants of Abraham doesn't mean that they are children. They are not the children of the promise and so there's a difference there's a physical and then there's the promise they believe the promise like abraham says he believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness so therefore everyone then who believes in the lord jesus christ becomes a child of the lord that's what it means that's Basically, how do you become a son of God, a child of God? This is it, by being born again. That's what Jesus said. Chapter 3, John, Truly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Here's what he's saying. You're born as a descendant of Abraham, but you're still in the flesh. You've got to be born of the Spirit. That's why he follows is That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish man by the name of Nicodemus. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is moving. Where is it going? We don't know. But as long as the Word of God is being preached, as long as the Word of God is being ministered, It's going to do what it needs to do. So what you have and you understand this, dear friends, is this. That as we preach the Word of God, it's not going to fail. That's a great promise. But what it means is that when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you've become a child of Abraham. You've become that child. You've become a child of God. And that's the only way that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Get across to these Jewish folks. Look, Word of God's gonna fail. This is what's gonna happen. Not all of Israel is Israel. Here's what he's kind of saying like this. It'd be like me walking into a McDonald's and they're getting there in McDonald's proclaiming that I am a big man. Just because I walk in doesn't mean I'm a big a man. Just because you go into your car, I mean into your garage, and you make car noises, it does not make you a car. You're still you. Emphasis, Paul was saying, just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean you're a child of God. It does not mean that. In fact, John chapter 1, he says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Folks, that's very very important to understand. Remember, we put it together, John chapter 3. The Spirit blows where the Spirit's going to blow. It's going to do what it's planning to accomplish in people's lives. And when that happens to you, Basically, you are receiving a gift that opens your heart that allows you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I get a little perplexed when this is just me. This is a, you, you may think I'm splitting hairs, but I, I don't like the phrase would you accept Jesus Christ? I don't like that phrase. The reason I don't like that phrase is because it implies that something needs to be accepted who gets to make the final decision whether it's acceptable or not. It kind of puts it back in our ball. But here's the point. If Jesus is saying, the Spirit blows us, it's blowing. And that if we receive this, this gift comes to us. This gift comes and we receive it. And then we respond to it. We respond to it by placing trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> What's happening in this whole Scripture is we know this, that Paul is saying, look, all of Israel is Israel. And then he pulls out the big guns and he says, look at Abraham, look at Isaac. Now we we'll go back to verse, uh, verse 7. It says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then he tells it in verse 8, the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And then he reiterates the promise about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. But not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of words, but because of him because he was told the old oh, words over the younger this room. Jacob I love, but he saw, I have hate. This is the whole point that he's trying to get to and uh, get you to understand old Jewish people as he's looking at this. The children of the promise come from Abraham through Isaac. Folks, if you read your Old Testament, you realize that Isaac wasn't the only one born to Abraham. You remember? Sarah got a little impatient with this promise of God. It hadn't happened yet. What does she do? She gives her servant over to Abraham. He conceived a son. Basically, he propagates a son by the name of Ishmael. Y'all remember this? But remember, that's not the only sons that he had. After Sarah died, he took Keturah. And then Keturah had six more sons of him. Maybe that's why we sing that children's song. Father Abraham and many sons, many sons had father Abraham. Right? Understand? But there was one that was a child of promise, One. Whose prerogative was it to choose the one? It was God's. It was God's prerogative. He didn't have to save all these. He wasn't obligated to save them. He chose one. And it was through that one... As Paul was trying to get across to his Jews, this is what the promise made. Verse, verse 9. About this next time next year I will return and say I will have a son. So those who are children of the promise, those who believe, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the ones in Jesus Christ. For us, for them, this is what he's trying to say. God's purpose of election is still true. This is what's happening. Not all of Israel is Israel but there are going to be some that are going to be saved. That's why we preach what we have to understand. It's not what's on the outside. It's not the physical. It's not the descendants. It's not you coming in and saying, you know, Pastor, I was straight when I was a baby and I've been a believer since I was born. No. No. That doesn't make you a Christian. Only those who are children of the promise, those spiritual children of the Lord Jesus Christ. That are those of the ones who enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Paul is trying to say to them: this was the purpose, this is the reason. God's word has no faith at all. And will never fail. He has a purpose. Next week we get to talk about that really those really hard verses where it talks about though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of words, but because of Him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger as it is written. Jacob, I love, but Esau I hate it. We want to delve into that next week? Did God really hate Esau? Is this where it means he just loved him a little less? Hope well, we you come back because we're going to explore those kinds of things. But know this. Know this. If you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're a children of Christ. You are Abraham's descendant. You will have eternal life. You will experience the glory. And we sang today that one day He's coming. That's true. He is coming. And we will be with Him. And we will worship Him forever and ever and ever. And if you don't have that assurance, come and talk with me. Come and talk with me. After the service, I want to share with you about eternal life and what it really means. Just because you grew up in a church doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian. Okay? So let's pray. Father, thank You again that Your Word of God never fails. It contains Your promises and everything we need for eternal life and God is thankful. So I pray that You would continue take that Word of God, which is living it, and active, pierce our souls, teach us, help us all oh to be more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you do. And I ask Him in Jesus' name.